on today's episode of Created. And so we talked to Anne-Marie, our producer, and said, can you give this guy a call? So she, she just calls us back and she's like, uh, he's busy this week. Um, he's doing Star Wars. Get out of town. And we're like, oh, cool. He's doing like a spot for Star Wars. She's like, no, he's doing Star Wars. Oh <laughs> he's doing the sound wow. design for Star Wars. So he's like, oh, I'm just finishing up the sound design on the crawl at the beginning of Star Wars. And then I'll call you about Lamp 2. <laughs> Welcome to Created, the Advertising and Design Club of Canada podcast that goes behind the scenes to find out how some of the best campaigns in Canada got made. Theme music and recording studio care of Grayson Music. And I'm your host, Loranda Martin-Evans, founder of Fellow Human Creative. On today's show, we're talking to Joel Holtby and Mike Dubrick, partners at Rethink and creative directors. Today, we're going to talk about some of the phenomenal work they've done on Ikea, including Lamp 2 and Stuff Monster. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So last season, we had Aaron Starkman on, and um, he took us through the incredible beer fridge work, which you guys did. And then I just found out that was actually the first project you guys ever did as a team. Yeah, that was our first brief. So so take me back to this, because the beer fridge stuff is so amazing and game-changing. Didn't Thank you end you. up on Jimmy Kimmel twice in the same night? And we had Yeah, we had... Uh, I got a text from Aaron, and he said, my mother-in-law just texted me and said, I just saw your campaigns on Jimmy Kimmel, um, which we just figured wasn't true. <laughs> we thought it was a mistake. Like, okay. We were like, okay. And then we got to the office the next day and it turns out that, yeah, there was two campaigns that we had done. Uh, it was right in time for the Sochi Olympics, the Winter Olympics. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was Beer Fridge and another campaign, Luge, that we had done. So Luge was in the opening monologue. And then there was a, a Canadian actor uh, who was on talking to Jimmy Kimmel and they started talking about Beer Fridge. So Get out of here. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, to even be on that show once is crazy, but yeah. twice in one night. So so take me back to how, and we, we will definitely talk about Ikea, but I'm just dying to know, how did Beer Fridge become your first project as, as a team, in fact? So yeah. who, was, who was at, Re one of you was at Rethink. Yeah, so I started at Rethink in uh, December 2011, and then Joel, you came on in just sort of mid 2012, right? Yep, exactly. And we were we kind of both got placed on this fairly like I would say it's open, but it wasn't open uh, Molson brief where a lot of teams were working on it, and it was actually um, you know Mike and I we weren't partnered at that point. Uh, they were just kind of like you and you go and work. Aww, so look at arranged marriage. Exactly. <laughs> lovely. It always works out the best. So did you go for like an awkward lunch together? Like, okay, well, we kind of, no, we went for, we went for a coffee and that was when we did the, the thing. That was like a, the first time we ever sat down and did anything. Yeah. So <laughs> wait, you came up with beer fridge then? Yeah. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Was, so, so I was floating. Um, the art director that I was working with had left and, uh, so I was floating and then I went on vacation for a week and Joel was waiting for me to come back and we came back, we got briefed and the brief was, you know, come up with amazing Canadian moments and, and, you know, Molson Canadians, it's like iconic Canadian brand and, but it needed a reboot. It needed to have the light life breathe back into it. And so we are, you know, there was a team that was off thinking about hockey stuff. There was a team thinking about quality and, and ingredients and the product story. And we got to go off and work on what are sort of quintessential Canadian moments. And so we grabbed our notebooks and we ran across the street and we said, oh, we'll grab a coffee. It'll be good to just kind of sit down and meet each other. And maybe we'll talk about the brief too. And so we sat down and we just started 
going back and forth. And I think it was a really, um, we just gelled really quickly. We just sort of got along really quickly and we just started talking about, I don't want to get, I don't have to get too much into it. Cause obviously, you know, you talked about the story already. Well, last if you season, haven't heard but... the episode, do go back <laughs> and listen <laughs> to the Aaron Starkman episode. <laughs> but no, we were just talking and we were, we went into like the typical kind of Canadian things. We talked about jumping off of docks and going up to the cottage in the summer and all that sort of stuff. And, and then I said to Joel, I was, you know, I did the backpacker thing and we traveled across, or I traveled across Europe. And I said, to, I said to Joel, I said, you know, my favorite Canadian moment was being in Europe. And I went to a bar in some little town in like, you know, outside Dundee or something like that. And there was this fridge in the back of the bar that served uh, Molson Canadian. Get out of here. And I like freaked out. That's so like, bizarre. And so there was this weird, uncontrollable emotion where I had to like tell people about it and buy beers for people and all this kind of stuff. And so I said, you know, we were just talking and I was like, I've never felt more Canadian than in that moment. And so Joel was like, well, that's it. That's what we got to do. We oh, got to go man. to Europe and we got to we got to give the beer away. And then it sounds funny, but like everything else just kind of fell into place. So we were like, okay, well, let's go and take it to Europe. And we're like, okay, but isn't everybody just going to take it? And we're like, well, only Canadians should be able to to get it, but they should be able to share it. So how do we do that? And we're like, well, maybe it's got to be locked and it's only Canadians can get it. And then we were like, well, what does a Canadian have that no one else has? It was a passport. Okay, bang. And that was it. So we wrote it up. It was literally like uh, like a sentence on a page. And we took it back and I think everyone kind of felt that power. And then, you know, the process was long. It was still like seven or eight weeks before that presentation. And a ton of amazing work from multiple teams came out of that presentation. And then we produced, like, you know, we went into production. It took like six months to get it together and uh, go over and shoot it. And um, yeah, we're just super proud of, of how it turned out. Yeah. And the shoot was, shoot was awesome. It was, it was very like, you know, Molson had never really done that before or, you know, so there was a lot of like, there was a lot of pressure kind of riding on that. Yeah. Um, but like, honestly, it was one of those, like, everybody was so excited about it. And when we were shooting it, like literally there, there were times when like, even Mike and I were like pushing the fridge on like a wheeled cart down like a street, um, to get it to a place we were trying to like, you know, corral people in the right sort of way. So it was, uh, it was kind of a really, it was super exciting all hands kind of on deck sort of project and pretty amazing that your first project as a team together that that, that that's what it is set the bar really that's high that's crazy <laughs> i think it's like one of the funny things about creativity though is like you never know when it's gonna when it's gonna pop so you know we've been on projects where it was literally like the f you know second or third idea we came up with and sometimes we're like you know at it for two weeks and we're just thinking like god this we're never gonna crack this and you always do you always get to a great place but um, it's just funny how it kind of works out. And I know we're going to talk about lamp and lamp was kind of the same thing. Lamp was like, we said it to the client. It was the sixth idea we came up really? with yeah. out of a hundred. Um, but there was just something about it that felt right. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about lamp. Let's talk about Ikea. So for those people who might not remember the original, can you just explain the original Ikea lamp spot and how sure. that went into Ikea lamp too? Sure. So, um, it's, it's a simple spot. Um, but obviously massively powerful. And it's, it's a, it's a sort of, uh, a story of a woman who is going through a house and throwing out a lamp. So she walks into the living room, you know, walks over, pulls it out of the, out of the socket, grabs the lamp and walks away with it. And, and it's sort of at that moment, this sort of the power of the spot starts to come to life where they shot it in a way where they humanize the lamp. And so the lamp's head is sort of slumped down and, 
And as you're watching it, you start to have these feelings. She walks out and she puts it in the coal and she dumps it down sort of callously on the curb. And, you know, you, the wind's blowing and it's a tragic end to this lovely little lamp. And the sad music's playing as you go. And it starts to rain and the rain falls on the lamp and it's beside garbage bags and the curb's cracked. And, you know, you look up to the window and you see that there's a light, uh, a new light on in the window of the woman's apartment. And it's a new lamp. It's from Ikea. And so you cut back to the old lamp and back to the new lamp, back and back, 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 back. And this sort of like sad, sad end of this lamp and it's longing to be back where it belongs. Um, and at that moment, uh, an odd Swedish man in a trench coat steps in and says, many of you feel sad, feel sad for this lamp. That's because you're crazy. It has no feelings, and the new one's much better. And that was it. You really did feel sorry for the little lamp. Like I did, like, even even hearing you, you describe do. it, I'm like, oh, I yeah. do you feel still sad do. for the lamp. And it's such a it's such a brilliantly done spot. And literally, if you go back and you watch it now, you'll you will you'll feel sad for the lamp, even though you know that it's ridiculous. It's the best rug pull of all time. Yeah, it's so good. So then, where lamp two comes in is at yeah. that moment. So lamp two comes in. And it's actually shot for shot from from one of the original shots of the of the original spot. Um, so the rain's pouring down on the lamp. Uh, the sad same lamp cracks is still in there. the curb. Wow. The same trash cans are there with these same like spray painted numbers on it. The bags positioned the exact same way. The building behind is is the same. Like we got like really into the like nitty gritty. Um, like down to. Uh, Ernie, who works at Fort York, like he spent so much time recreating the crack in the sidewalk in post. Uh, but anyways. But yeah, so, you know, pouring rain, darkness of night, and then it transitions to the daytime. It's a new day. Sun comes up and a garbage truck pulls up sort of that last moment. They're going to toss this thing in the trash and a little girl and her mom pull up in her wagon. And she takes a look and she sort of, uh, the lamp is still kind of hunched down and she just puts her hand on and kind of lifts the chin of the lamp uh, to kind of see if it's okay. It's like a sad little puppy. And then you cut to her putting the lamp in the wagon and, and away she goes. And, and it, it then becomes a story of her sort of like a lost puppy taking this thing home and plugging it in and all the amazing things she could do with it. She, you know, it, she uses it to sort of light the scene for her party, you know, her, her puppet show and, um, you know, plays with her friends and has a little tea party and the family kind of gathers around it. And uh, she puts it in her room and sort of, you know, turns it off before she goes to sleep. And, you, and so you cut back to the same you know, odd Swedish man in the same trench coat. Uh, and he steps up and he says, many of you feel happy for this lamp. That's not crazy. Reusing things is much better. So beautiful. Yeah. So, so beautiful. It's fun. So you're at Rethink. You're clearly your partnerships that, that worked out. The arranged mm -hmm. marriage was a success. Yeah, I was doing all right. Yeah. Uh, so now take me back. So it was an, it was a pitch situation. How yes. was that process? I think it was fun. They're always fun. It was, you know, it was very much uh, the same way as, you know, a lot of pitches go. It was, it was long. It was great though. Lots of like, lots of different people working on it. Um, we kind of approached it the very rethink way where we kind of create what we call like shallow holes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we worked pretty collaboratively with the client um, on it, but it was pretty much a traditional sort of pitch. Um, I think when we, uh, there was three agencies that were pitching, including us. Um, the great thing was uh, Rethink actually like fundamentally since it, like day one actually like um, 
is all furnished with IKEA furniture. Because <laughs> I love IKEA furniture. It looks great. Yeah, it's yeah. like one of the like fundamentals from uh, from actually Vancouver. Uh, so we didn't have to like rearrange our office or anything. That's so good. We already had all the furniture in there, um, which was great. Um, but yeah, we found out that we won the business. Uh, I think the pitch was like twelve weeks, like around. Oh there. yeah, that it's long. Yeah. Um, so we found out we won the business and then it was kind of off to the races. Right. Um, where it's like we did, we came out with a brand spot very quickly after for the positioning of um, called the beautiful possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of to land the platform and showing the the possibilities around Ikea inside your home and out. Um, and then uh, in year two, we got an interesting, uh, interesting brief on sustainability. Okay. Um. Did you want to kind of talk so about how, that? Yeah, so yeah, take, sure. take, how did you get to LAMP? You said it was the sixth idea. So you get this brief. It's for sustainability. Yeah. So Meaning? Well, so the platform, the Beautiful Possibilities platform, was really born out of IKEA had a necessity to separate themselves from, from everyone else out there. So um, IKEA has always been known for affordability and the sort of unfortunate kind of uh, result of that has sometimes been disposability. So Ikea's stuff right. is really affordable. Mm-hmm. And so that means that you can change it out or you can switch it. And and that's sort of, that it's is like, what the original lamp spot was about. It, it became, the positioning was that furniture can be like fashion. Right, it was like fast fashion for furniture. It's fast sweet. fashion yeah. for furniture, okay. exactly. And so that was the approach and that was embraced in the original spot. And for the record, one of the greatest spots ever done, probably the best misdirect that's ever been done. So good. Um, the original Ikea lamp spot was a classic. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And I think everybody who has ever gone through ad school has sort of admired it and Absolutely. and fallen in love with it and, and wanted to do work like it. Um, but, you know, obviously... Now where we are with sustainability and climate change, I think it was an opportunity for a reevaluation from the company mm-hmm. um, to understand where they sat in that global context. And they've made huge strides to be uh, not just more sustainable, but to be an actual like leader in sustainability for a company. Um, you know, there's stats like I think it's 95% of the waste uh, at, at Ikea is recycled and um, they have oh, an wow. entire kitchen made out of recycled material now. And um, wow. yeah, they've, they've, they've just done some amazing things that most Ikeas have solar panels on top of the roofs and um, they've done, they've really uh, walked the walk when it comes to sta- sustainability. Mm-hmm. And what they wanted to do was uh, as part of this sort of idea of beautiful possibilities to go out and say, we can have something affordable that's also sustainable, that's also um, something that everyone can have because everyone should have the right to have a, a beautiful life and a beautiful home and and a, and and, um, and to do it in a sustainable way. So we got the brief through and um, and the brief simply said, give old things a new life. Give old that, was, a new life. that was the simple line in the brief. Okay. And um, we sort of took that sort of, you know, we looked at that and we said, wow, there's a lot of great opportunity. This is the best brief ever. Mm-hmm. It's it literally like one of the best briefs ever. It's like Ikea, which has been known for fast fashion. There's a huge tension in that. They're making amazing strides that we can believe in. Um, and we can really do something kind of special with this. And if it's about giving old things a new life, um, where can we take that? Yeah. And we, we literally like took the brief and it's, it's going to sound a lot similar to like beer fridge, but we like jutted across the street and uh, went into a coffee shop. What is this magical creative coffee shop that it's gone? Really it's gone. Uh, it closed oh no. down. So we were actually at a, we were at the 401 Richmond building. Yep. 
in the basement. Uh, and I think like the first or second or like might've been the sixth, uh, idea was like, well, what, what if someone found the lamp? You know, what if like, you know, what if that little lamp that was sitting on the corner Mm -hmm. on this curb, what if someone found it? And like immediately we just started kind of spitballing off what that story could be and, and how Ikea could then come in to show how actually something that they have now can help to give an old thing that had been like thrown out, that had been like the poster child for disposable furniture, mm-hmm. how it actually could have a new life. And that was the little LED bulb that's in the spot that the little girl finds and screws in and suddenly like the light is rebirthed. Um, so, yeah, I think it was, um, we saw it as an opportunity to kind of reinvent um, the positioning from Ikea as a brand, you know, um, to take that idea of fast fight. And that's, that's literally why we went to the original lamp spot because the original lamp is that is the idea is that sort of fast fashion furniture kind of approach. And so, you know, we were looking at the briefing and we were like, well, if this is all about fundamentally reinventing what the brand is, why don't we look at the, the sort of poster child of, of what that brand's all about and, and nothing disparaging about it. It's, it had, you know, it was, it was, it's still quintessentially Mm -hmm. one of the greatest ads ever. Um, But, you know, why not take the opportunity to to mess with it yeah, and, and, and to tell the second chapter and, and have fun with it? And, um, you know, something interesting, there's so much disposability even in what we do as an industry. Mm-hmm. An ad comes out, you know, people spend hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars on, on something, and then it's just six months later, it's gone. It's gone mm-hmm. forever. And so not to be too much of an ad nerd about it, but, you know, why not why not bring something back that, is so amazing and so well thought and, and such an amazing idea from, from those people down at Crispin. Um, that's is, who did the original lamp spot. That's yes. who did the original. Yeah. So Crispin did the original and it was, you know, really in their heyday. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're doing great now too, but, um, yeah, it was, it was just an opportunity to kind of tell a second part of that story and, and do it in a, in a fun, interesting, modern way. But you must have had other ideas on the, because t- this is such a complicated thing. I imagine to even get through the client and, liaise with Crispin and make sure it's cool or I don't what was the process did you go in and present several shallow holes or how did it work out yeah we had um you know there was there was the area that was that had lamp in it Mm -hmm. and then uh there was another area that was about uh kind of taking that pathway through Ikea and telling like the story because they actually have like fundamentally amazing product stories Mm -hmm. uh there's like a little um basically a like a waterborne plant um that they worked with a community that was like clogging up the waterways and they took that and actually made that to create like these really sustainable placemats that are super beautiful. But then it also helped like the community that they started to like kind of work with to, to make that product into. So there's tons of these really like the Odger chair from Ikea is made from like recycled plastic bottles and, and um, all like recycled wood to kind of create this beautiful new chair. So they have these like, amazing product stories. So there's a whole area that was very much in like the long way and kind of like there was recreating, four, right? There's yeah. four areas that we showed. Yeah. And then there was a whole area that was on like just the led light bulb. Um, yeah, there was, there was a bunch of different ways in, but, um, kind of what came out of that meeting was they were like, Oh, we like this and we like this. And one of the areas that they liked was, was lamp. And, uh, at that moment, I think everybody kind of like, including the client, um, kind of just really rallied around, uh, the lamp idea. It was a, a light bulb moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we'd even talked about it earlier. So I don't know. One thing that we were pretty big believers in is we sort of reject this sort of like uh, this sort of us versus them 
kind of notion in the boardroom and especially in the boardroom that's sort of like there's winners and there's losers and mm-hmm. you're selling someone on an idea. Um, like obviously you're you're sort of presenting something and, and someone does need to sort of buy it, but um, we try to be as collaborative as possible. And, and, you know, more than anything, we want them to believe in the idea and see the power in it. And then, and then let's go together and let's figure out the best way to make it and, and make it amazing. And kind of everybody wins kind of thing. Um, so as part of that, we always check in with clients before the presentation and whether that's just oh, okay. a couple on a phone call or something like that. Yeah. And so we had the lamp idea. We we're really excited about it. Sometimes those conversations are, they happen too soon though. So an idea can kind of get stale by the time you make it to the boardroom and all that kind of stuff. So we we did not want to show Lamp in that phone call. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to kind of share some of the thinking we had, some of the other ideas we had, um, kind of get some feedback from them and really just sort of help refine the thinking. But we didn't want to show Lamp. So we got on the call and we shared some kind of loose stuff. And quite honestly, it wasn't very good. Okay. Interesting, because <laughs> you held back the gold. Yeah, 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 we, we held it back and we were sharing stuff that wasn't very good and the phone call wasn't going very well. Uh-oh. They were underwhelmed yeah. and I think they had a better, they had a bigger expectation of what we were going to show. Which than, is good, actually. Which like is good, it, yeah. And then so... Uh, it's like, know, okay, we're going to bring it in the next one then. Well, so what happened was... Uh, so as Joel and I were on the phone, uh, Marie, one of the partners of the agency and Aaron was on the call as well. And, uh, Aaron was like, Aaron knew the call wasn't going well either. And he was like, tell him about the lamp thing. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Which quite honestly, quite honestly was, was a great, was a a great call on his part. But Joel and I were just freaking out (laughs) because it was too soon and we didn't know what it was yet. Right. Fair. We didn't know what it was. And so it, you know, we were, we were like, well, it's really loose and it's not going to sound like it makes any sense at this point. So we're kind of reluctant to share it. But we shared it. And at Rethink, we've got this sort of, uh, we have a lot of isms. There's a book that just came out available yeah. on Amazon for $34.99. Very cool. And, and book jackets. <laughs> Good plug. So that Good if you're plug. at another agency, you can put like a fake book jacket on top of the Rethink That's book. Right. It's so That's funny. Great. That's right. It's so great. Yeah, thanks. Um but so like one of those isms is this idea of like a one or 100 rule, which is like your best idea might be the first one might be the 100th, but you're never really going to know and you c- until you do the work. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were on the call and we were like, well, we, we haven't got to 100 yet. Um, but number six is really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> number six, we think could be really, really cool. We don't know what it is yet, yeah. uh, but it's the idea of, of revisiting your most famous ad of all time. And telling the second chapter of that. And um, then it was off to the races to figure out what that was actually going to look like. So then as you're putting this thing up on its feet and scripting it out and like, where did you find the the line between the original spot and the inspiration for writing this spot? How did it all map out? Well, we we wrote dozens of scripts, obviously. Um, the nice thing about sort of landing in the area as early as we did was we could actually really step back and refine what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. But we had a whole bunch of scripts. We had we had scripts where it was like people were observing them making the original commercial from across the street. Oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> it too. was like the kid, like the little girl was out with her mom. Like, what are they doing over there? And oh, they were like, like actually the fourth wall broken. Like you see cameras and oh, stuff. Yeah, exactly. oh yeah, 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 wow. yeah. They, they were like away. making the ad, and she's like, "What's that?" So and then they pack up, and then she sees the lamps. Like, why didn't they take that too? And then she takes it, and that was a the thing. Uh, there were versions that had was, like 
less focused on the lamp and more about like the lamp was just in the home, but it was like showing more of the possibilities within the home, within the family. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, yeah, there were, there were ones that were just like only the lamp, like purely the lamp. Um, so there, we'd written a bunch of different variations on, on kind of how that script is and comes back to kind of the one or 100 rule, right? Like don't fall in love with the first script you write. Um, but, and I think that's really important by the way. It's like, even if you have a really brilliant idea, the fact that you guys then went and wrote, a hundred scripts against that one idea is a little bit of a lost art sometimes. So it's, it's great to tell that story of, you know, you don't, you may love a script, but write a dozen more that go in a different direction. It's a funny thing. I think sometimes we get lost in just staying on trying to figure out what that one perfect idea is. And the truth is, is that like the, the craft and the production can really elevate an idea. And sometimes you know, sometimes you land on something where if you if you land on it quicker, you can spend your time refining it and, and turning it into a really amazing thing. And and luckily we had the the kind of time to refine this one and to do it. But that sort of the push on this one to really refine it and write all the scripts was uh, really born out of fear. <laughs> because we were just like sitting around and we were like, yeah, like what if we redid Lamp and did Lamp 2? And then we went in the meeting and we sold it and everyone's like, great, amazing. And then it's like, wow, oh, but we sold through Lamp 2. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, crap, oh. we sold through Lamp 2. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like a bit of a needle drop moment. And there was like, I know we're making it sound like we went in and we sold it and it was done and then we went and made it. But there were like with all great projects, like uh, Beer Fridge was the same way. And I'm sure like every piece of work that like people are really proud of. There were moments when it was sitting on the floor kind of dying. Um, and there were like, you know, we, I think we had a great client, Lauren McDonald, who, um, uh, also really wanted to see the project come to life. Um, so, you know, there was a point when Mike and I were on like, uh, to make it happen, we were on a travel job and literally like sketching, in an airplane, like really bad rudimentary, like check it out. Here's the lamp. Look, they were awful. Like, wait, really? Awful bad sc- because sketches. they had, because when you landed, you had to show somebody something. No, when we landed, we basically had to land. We like ran off the plane, ran to like, um, a patio in a restaurant and, uh, like picked up the phone. Like we were shooting our bad sketches with our iPhone, putting them together into a deck and then phoned an illustrator. And we're like, we need you to board this out quickly board it out. And then, uh, Nick Greaves, who was at Rooster at the time, we phoned him. We were like, can you like quickly put this together and like a boardomatic?" And the great thing, apparently Nick, um, when he was in university, he actually did like a thesis on the lamp spot. Get out so of here. he was like, you know, perfect things kind of meeting up. He's like, Oh my goodness. Totally. So he like fully got what we were trying to do. Yeah. Uh, so he quickly kind of put it into a boardomatic cause we wanted to make sure, you know, that it was going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not for like testing purposes or anything like that, but like, let's, let's make sure this thing's going to work. We're taking a chance here of doing like one of the greatest spots in advertising. We're trying to do the, we're trying to do the second part of it. Yeah. Um, so even in that, you know, we had Mike doing a very good Jonas impression originally, um, uh, Jonas, to do is, Jonas at the end. Jonas is the guy who comes in at the end of the spot. Who's, uh, the Swedish, Swedish man, man. Swedish yeah. man. Can you, can you do your best Jonas for us on the show? No. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I will say, though, uh, that's his voice. Like, that's him. Yeah. So what you hear on the radio, that's what you hear when he when he dials in and when you talk to him on the phone. Like, that's him. He's, yeah, that's he's, his, he's that's a Swedish his, dude. He's a Swedish dude. Oh, that's cool. Um, he's amazing. But to Joel's point, it's like there was so – we had such a sense of kind of responsibility um, to kind of get this right. Yeah. Because we knew that, like – 
whether it was amazing or whether it was not amazing, it, it was going to be talked about in the industry. And um, you, you wanted to be on the right side of that. I wanted to be on the right side of history yes. for sure. For, fair <laughs> enough. So then how does it, so you get it, you get it to a great place. It's sold. Yeah. Everyone's on board. Yeah. Talk to me about the production process. We, uh, yeah, then it was off to finding like the, the right sort of partners. Um, we, we phoned Spike. Um, he shot the original. He yeah. shot the original. So he shot the original one uh, for Crispin back in 2002. Um, so we obviously like first wanted to contact him because like we're picking up kind of where he left off. Yeah. Uh, he was booked on another job. So uh, we got a thank you, but uh, I'm busy. Yeah. Um, and actually, uh, we then we were talking to uh, a couple directors and we ended up talking to Mark Zebert. And um, to, to Mark's credit, like the first phone call we had with him to talk to him, the first thing he said, he's like, you guys have talked to Spike, right? Like, <laughs> really? You need like, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to answer this unless you've talked to him first. And we were like, yep, we did. He's like, OK, cool. Let's talk about this. And, you know. I think he knew right away as well. Same with like, you know, the client and the team that was working on it, everybody, the the significance of like picking up this project and wanting to like be a part of it. Cause you know, as we said, if it, if it went South, like then it goes South and that's the headline. Yeah. So, um, you know, he kind of dug in really hard and he's awesome by the way, like one of the most like collaborative, wonderful uh, directors, uh, to work with, but he brought tons of things into the production, uh, as well on it. Um, from like, you know, sourcing, uh, the lamp itself, which Mike actually, uh, Mike nerded out hard on, on finding too. What? How did well, you find the lamp? Well, so we were meticulous about this, about making sure that the spot was legit and true to the original as much as humanly possible. Yep. Um, so we had to find the old lamp. Um, but Which had even been discontinued and so it actually wasn't even an Ikea lamp in the original one. It was just a, a lamp that they found that fit the personality of this sort of solemn hunched over kind of humanized kind sad. of thing. Yeah, sad, thing. sad lamp. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we sort of made a list and we were like, we want to have as much of the original as we humanly possibly can. So let's go find the old lamp. Let's get the people who did the music and the original one. Let's find all of that stuff. Um, so one of the first things we wanted to do was find the lamp and we we're reading through and there's a few articles about it. And there's an article where they, you know, I guess a few years had passed and someone at Christmas was like, well, where's the lamp? Let's get, let's get the lamp. You know, I, you know, maybe they had like a, you know, an event or something like that. We need the lamp. Right. And uh, nobody had it. So they emailed the production people and, or, you know, whoever, I think it was just like someone from the crew, like took it on the day. You're like, I could and, use this lamp. Well, they emailed back and they were like, who cares? It's like a, it doesn't have any feelings, just like a yeah. whatever lamp. <laughs> yeah. So they took the line from the spot and, and threw it back at them. <laughs> and uh, so no one's ever seen the lamp ever again. Wow. So we used like photo composites from the original spot to basically create a, a CAD drawing of the original lamp to the exact specs of wow. what it was based on the old spot and then rebuilt it from scratch. Uh, well, I say we, our amazing production crew built it from scratch. They built a lamp. They the built it from lamp. scratch. The real yes. lamp looked, ex it was the exact same specs of the original because we we wanted to match it. It, it needed to feel seamless. Um, and, and the same went for music. So we we looked to, we looked through the credits and we read read up on on who the original person was. And, you know, you go down and it says Ren Kleiss and we go, okay, cool, Ren Kleiss. Um, and so we talked to Anne-Marie, our producer, and said, can you give this guy a call? 
So she, she just calls us back and she's like, uh, he's busy this week. Um, he's doing Star Wars. Get out of town. And we're like, oh, cool. He's doing like a spot for Star Wars. She's like, no, he's doing Star Wars. Oh my God. <laughs> he's doing the sound wow. design for Star Wars. So he's like, oh, I'm just finishing up the sound design on the crawl at the beginning of Star Wars. And then I'll call you about Lamp 2. <laughs> then I'll call you Canada. Then I'll call you yeah. Canada. Right after I do this. But, you know, it's it's funny because we, we talk to people and they're like, well, no way you're going to get the Star Wars guy. He's never going to do it. He's yeah. you know, a Star Wars guy. And I think one thing that I, I'm kind of super proud about that, that we've done in our career is we've been sort of foolishly optimistic about these sorts of things. And uh, we've always just said, well, like, maybe we just call him. Why don't you just call him? And maybe he won't answer. Maybe he won't call us back. Or maybe he'll say no. And then we'll figure out the next thing. But if we don't call him, we'll never know. So call him. And after he was done Star Wars, <laughs> he uh, he called us back and said he'd love to do it. And he, he was did? amazing yeah. to work you with. You got Star Wars guy to do Star the Wars guy. Yeah, you know what else here. he did? Sorry, this is also kind of nerdy, but I thought it was really cool. Uh, he also did the sound design for The Social Network. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember, there's a really cool scene where... Uh, where, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Justin Timberlake's character, uh, was it, uh, anyway, um, they're in a club and the sound design in the club is like really like bombastic, like club kind of music and you can barely hear them. And I remember seeing the theater and you literally had to like hunch forward in your chair, which doesn't really make any sense because you're not getting any closer to them, Yeah. but it, it actually physically made you move. Um, and that was him. That was so his. Cool. That was his thing, and and he fought for that to make that part of the sound design of the movie. And I I want to say I got like nominated for an Oscar for it, which is really cool. So obviously we were really excited about the opportunity to work with him on it. And he had written the original piece of music, and so he seamlessly kind of turned it from this like sad kind of melancholy tune into little girl picks it up and takes it home, and now it becomes this kind of inspiring piece. So. We nerded out hard on those yeah. details to make sure that everything kind of felt right. And, and hopefully that actually kind of comes through in the final piece. It does for sure. So what? So you get this beautiful piece together. You've got all these really interesting people working on it. Mm-hmm. You get it up on its feet. Now it's time. It's like do or die time. It goes live. Mm-hmm. What happens? Well, I, I went on vacation. So that's, you did? That's You're like, like it's too stressful. I was like, see I'm you guys out. later. I'm out. <laughs> Uh, no, I, it, it came out and, um, and, uh, I think the first article we saw that came out from it was, uh, Fast Company. Um, and, uh, what everybody in, it kind of started to build from is that people talked about how one, it did justice to the first, but then I think, uh, Muse, the Cleo's, uh, article, uh, Tim, he wrote that, um, it actually... Uh, took the story and and brought it like into the modern modern world, modern time, uh, and had a really pointed good outlook on on how um, we should be looking at furniture. Um, the craziest thing was uh, um, actually Alex Bogusky tweeted it. Really? Uh, yeah. And did he it know it out. was coming? No, uh, no, he no. didn't. Okay. So like that was like a bit of a. A bit of a moment, which yeah. was which was pretty crazy. I know a couple a uh, couple guys in in our office, uh, Xavier, who works in uh, Montreal, like sent Mike and I like a screen grab of Alex Bogusky's tweet, and we were both just like, "Oh my god!" Um, like I can breathe a little lighter. Yeah, <laughs> it's like we're not going to be it. like you know roped and dragged through the streets for for doing it not justice. So 
Yeah, the, I mean, the response was overwhelmingly positive, which was so relieving. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it was it was tense, and and you never know. Like with any project, when you put it into the world, you you really don't know what's going to happen. You got to hope. You know, you're hoping, you're confident, and all those sorts of things. But but you don't know. And the 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 response was positive. And then the other thing that was the best part was that you know people out in the world really liked it. You know, um, like non-ad nerds, non-ad nerds, like normals. And that was part of the conversation when we originally came up with the idea. People were like, well, isn't this just inside baseball ad nerd kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. Like normal people out in the world are not going to give a shit about this. Right. And our philosophy on it was that there's a reason why that's one of the best ads of all time. The original, Mm -hmm. um, because it's compelling and it's captivating and it's, it, it, it's an amazing piece of creative, and it's always it's it's timeless in a sense like it's always going to be captivating for people um and but we what we needed to do was we needed to make sure that the piece that we created didn't solely rely on that you know you didn't have to see the original lamp to be able to appreciate or or to enjoy the spot that we created and so um that was a really big sort of thing for us to make sure that we were doing was that we wanted to make sure that we made a good spot you know, forget all the baggage, forget all the history, forget everything else. We wanted to make sure that we made a good piece of film. And, uh, and we, th- we, you know, we, we hope we, that we did that and we think that we did that, but the consumer response was overwhelmingly positive and they got it. And I think it's one thing that we're really proud of is that we could have gone the hardcore sustainability route. We could have gone right, right sort of on the nose with it, mm-hmm. but we told this sort of continuation of a, of a lamp and a, and a little girl who brings it home and sees the possibilities in that lamp and where it can go. Um, and, and consumers got that and it became a more powerful sustainability story than any of the RTBs that we could have thrown out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was, you know, as you said, normal people, uh, like, you know, it. like mom, like when mom yeah, watches it. Yeah, yeah exactly. It. Like they ran it during, uh, during the Oscars. Uh, they ran the 60 and it was really fun to watch how people like reacted. Like there was tons of tweets that came out. They were like, and the Oscar goes to that little red lamp. Uh, so like when you see those sort of things come out from like emotionally, you, you reach somebody, um, it, it's that sort of stuff is like really worth it. Like, did really it only it. run in Canada or did, did America get a chance to get their paws on it? And- I mean, it, it, it was, it ran on TV in Canada, but yep. it, it sort of spread through the internet, yeah, which was I nice. Bet. Yeah, so it went kind of around the world, which was really cool That's to see. Super cool. But, um, yeah. So then the sustainability platform that IKEA has is living and breathing, mm-hmm. truly, mm-hmm. with all mm-hmm. this amazing innovation and real commitment to sustainability. Where do you go next with the platform? Where does it take you after Lamp 2? And how did you get to Stuff Monster? Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, Stuff Monster kind of came out of uh, a very similar sort of brief um, for IKEA, uh, where you know I was work- working with um, Deval uh, at Rethink on on that one, and, and um, the brief itself was again kind of building from the mo- momentum of what we had done last year, and something that we had said to IKEA was, you know, uh, last year we put our toe in to the pool, we want a cannonball in. Okay. Uh, to this. And we had lots of our, you know, Stacy Ross, who works at, uh, at Rethink as well, uh, who's a brilliant strategist. Um, she kind of dug into uh, a lot of the uh, feelings that Canadians have around their things and their possessions, but also looking at the way that uh, Canadians kind of consume. Okay. And um, believe it or not, there's like a stat out there 
that if everybody on the planet lived like how Canadians live, we would need four Earths to just kind of be able to deal with our consumption. What? Really? And like the amount of stuff that we throw out. Really? I always yeah. feel like as Canadians, we're better recyclers and... You would think so, but apparently yeah. not. Really? Um, That's yeah. so depressing. So there's a lot of like... But there's also like the double side of that is that um, can- Canadians are actually really, really aware and concerned about, you know, the planet yeah, and kind of sure. wasting all these things. So we're concerned, but we're not living it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so kind of Stuff Monster came out of... Um, Number one, looking at like how we kind of like hold on to our things, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Duvall, um, you know, when we were jamming, had this story about he's got a buddy that uh, had like a storage locker full of stuff that he held on to for years and years and years for like no reason. And it just kind of felt like it weighed on him. Yeah. Um, so it's we were like, whole oh, Maria Kondo thing. Exactly. Right? And then like that was coming out. But yeah. um, the thing that we were dealing with is like, yeah, you can throw it out, but it ends up in a landfill and like furniture right. waste is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of took that brief. We wrote like a whole bunch of different, uh, different kind of scripts and, and ways in at it. But there was this, this one sort of idea that was about like, what if we manifested that feeling of all your things and how it can kind of make you monstrous and it makes you feel weighted down. And in the spot, like the monster, kind of moves really trudgingly and really slow and kind of almost painful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people ignore it. And um, it it's it's literally a manifest of how uh, our things, when we hold on to them for no reason, kind of make us ugly and kind of make us monstrous. So that notion gave us this idea for this spot. Um, and then as the spot plays out, uh, that feeling that you get, you know, just like from a lamp, when you see the possibility of something uh, getting new life or being able to be used again, it's like a really good feeling. Um, uh, that kind of circular economy yeah. idea. So that gave us this idea of like, well, what if the monster started to kind of tear itself apart and give itself away to reveal that the end result is actually it was a person? And it was a way of like giving their stuff new life. Yeah. Um, so that's how like it's a super intelligent, beautiful spot. Thank you. Was that difficult to sell through? I mean, it's it's giving the consumer a lot of credit. Yeah, it's you know what it um the the client is they're awesome. Uh, I think they saw in it the potential. Uh, again, it goes at like destigmatizing used furniture. They have a lot of things now that they're doing actually called the sellback program where they'll take your used Ikea furniture. You can bring it back. They'll either then break it down to be re- properly recycled or actually they'll resell it. Um, so cool. and they give you Ikea gift cards for it, Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's not just a return policy. It's actually a thing that they're doing. Um, so <sighs> it, it was obviously daunting when you like go and you say, we're going to make a monster out of your product. Yeah. Um, but they saw it and they got excited about it and they got all in on it. And then, uh, again, we worked with, um, Mark Siebert to, uh, to kind of shoot and create that, which was a weird shoot. Cause we were walking around with literally like a pole with like a head on top of it. That yeah. Was how like, did you do that? So we worked with also a 52 out of, um, out of LA to do all the post work, but yeah, it was a three day shoot where we were shooting the main character that wasn't there. 
Um, so there was so like, Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we kind of mapped it all out. We we had done like um, Mark and the team. We had done a like 3D sort of uh, storyboard so that we could like because when you're shooting CG, you gotta like lock in. You gotta be super tight on what you're doing. There's not really any chance to like shoot extra stuff. Because, like, every little extra frame costs tons of money. Um, so we were really, really, like, tightly focused on that. And then, yeah, basically for the monster, we had people wearing morph suits in green to, like, move objects around. Yeah, cool. Uh, and then we had, like, a giant, like, painter's pole that was up, like, two stories that had a head on it. That then we were, like, flying drones around that were the markers for where the monster was. That's so cool. It was a really, really neat production sometimes our jobs are so weird in the super best way weird. i know super weird but um yeah and then again uh it was it was interesting when it was very much a similar production crew to who shot lamp so it was a bit about it was a bit of like getting the band back together to go and kind of do the the next piece on it yeah i can't wait to see what you guys do with ikea next it's such cool interesting work for such a legacy brand too yeah it's you know what it's a uh, it's a beloved brand. I know. Um, I know. I think you got to like work on it originally when the beginning of your career too. Yeah. My first ever thing I did in advertising when I was an intern at Zig um, was to write the footer of an email for Ikea. Really? Yeah. And uh, they had a program called the never ending list. And that was actually them dipping their toe into sustainability years and years ago. And the never ending list was just all just sustainable things that they're doing little, little tiny things that you can do that make a, a, a overall compounded big impact. And I was an intern and it was literally my first day and it was like five 30 and I was kind of sitting there and I didn't really have a lot to do. Uh, cause I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I was doing. And someone came down and said, we got this brief for you. And I just was like, so excited. It was like the most Footer exciting thing. Footer of an thing. email. Yes. Footer of an email for Ikea. Oh my God. Killing it. Uh, I was like, I made it. Yeah. I did it. See, I didn't need to go to law school, mom and dad. Right. Writing footers for emails. So, yeah. But so cyclical to then go and from a footer of an email is your first Well, that was the thing. And, to- and, and then, you know, and then from there, like I had the opportunity to just kind of like, Right, like Ikea's, you know, had so much great work over the years, like headlines and just radio and all that kind of stuff. And the first time you get to do Ikea radio is a thrill. And then at Rethink, when we had the opportunity to pitch it, I think we really took it on as like just such an exciting opportunity. And just there's such great people and they believe in creativity and they believe in that creativity can drive business like nothing else. And to have a client that believes in the work like that. I think it's, you know, really exciting as an opportunity. So uh, we went in head first and um, it's been an amazing relationship that we've had with them since. You mm-hmm. guys just yeah. mentioned um, talking about creativity and the value of creativity. I'd love to end the episode with Rethink is doing phenomenal work, consistently winning in the shows, but also Thanks. winning in our hearts as consumers, I would argue. Where, how does Rethink continue to deliver on such amazing creativity? Like, what is their philosophy at that agency? It's, it, there's a lot. Um, I think we kind of always go at this, uh, this notion of like, uh, being like relentless. I think that's the reason why, like a lot of times at the show, you know, it's not just one big project that like, uh, shows up and wins or not just one piece of work that like people talk about. It's that there's a bunch for, uh, you know, a bunch of different clients in there. And there's a bunch of different philosophies that, uh, that kind of really allow us to, to do, 
the work that resonates with people. You know, Mike talked about the one or 100, um, which kind of allows you to keep sort of going. Um, but also I think part of the thing is work-life balance. Um, it started by, you know, Chris Tomanian, who are guys out of Vancouver that really believe that, uh, you could have, you could do great, the best work of your, your career, but you could also have a life while doing it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, stuff like when Mike talked about beer fridge, like that comes out of real life experiences. Um, uh, so being able to actually not just spend your whole life in an ad agency, but having the ability to have a family, the ability to, you know, go to the movies, take trips, travel, have friends, go for beers, those sorts of things. Uh, all of that stuff influences you in how you come up with ideas. And without that, then you're just creating work in a vacuum. You're creating work for people that, you know, work 80 hours a week in an advertising agency versus like the rest of the world, which is what our job is to do is to create work that impacts and, and lands with them. So by allowing people to have like a really great work-life balance, they're able to be influenced by the things that are in their life and take that and apply it into their work. Um, so you can create culture driving work. Yeah. I think another big thing is just like, I think everyone at Rethink fundamentally believes that creativity is the is the best way to drive a business forward. And, you know, for the larger the company gets, the more sort of um, the more challenging it can become. You know, there's more people, there's more there's more budget, there's more on the line. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that that sort of philosophy that. Uh, that creativity can be the number one thing to drive your business forward is something that we've always really believed in. And, you know, for us, it's like we love coming up with with amazing, cool ideas that that go out in the world and are connected to culture and are actually relevant and, and sort of make people feel something. And, and you know, this is, these are things that we talk about all the time as an industry is like come up with work that makes someone feel something. Um, but I think one thing that, you know, we're really adamant about is that it's not just for the sake of creativity. We don't just try to create something uh, for the sake of it. We do it because we we believe in it. You know, we believe that it can actually impact the business and it can drive you forward. And we've seen time and time again, whether it's Molson or Ikea or Kraft Heinz or all these, you know, um, amazing iconic companies that we've been fortunate enough to work with, um, that when they do those ideas, it's a game changer for their business. And it really does drive them forward. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting. You hear a lot... Uh, people talk about clients being brave or clients being risky. And we've sort of shied away from that kind of language because if you fundamentally think that creativity is the best way to drive business, then why would you tell a client that they have to be brave or risky to do it? For us, it's the right thing to do. You know, it's it's not brave to, I, to approve Ikea Lamp. It's not brave to approve some of this work um, or risky to do it if you believe that a creative idea is what's going to drive your business forward. And so uh, we've been lucky enough to work with people who, who have that same philosophy, who know that creativity is going to drive them. And, and we're just, we just believe in it. We believe that that's going to be the way to, for, for us to go forward. And um, we've seen amazing results with it. And I think that's part of the reason why we've seen the success that we had. You guys have done such incredible work. I can't wait to see what you do next. And are all the secrets in the book? If we all read the book, will we get that rethi rethink sauce? Everything. What And the book it's is called? Rethinking the Business of Creativity. On Amazon. On Amazon. Number one business book bestseller on Amazon. Wow. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Well, you guys, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having I us. I hope to have you back on after the next amazing thing that you do. Sure. We'd love to come back. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. All right. Thank you.
Thanks to Joel and Mike for being on the show today. And thank you for listening to the ADCC podcast that proves it's not just about being creative. It's about actually getting it created. The ADCC is a nonprofit dedicated to encouraging excellence in Canadian advertising and design. Follow us on Instagram at the ADCC. Got an episode idea? Email create it at the ADCC.ca.